0: So you can succeed. If you're ready to join a community of other entrepreneurs redefining success and finding fulfillment, go to befulfilledlife.com and join the community. Now, let's dive into today's show. Welcome to Be Fulfilled. It is the real stories behind success, and my name is Tony Grebmeyer, All cozy here in Denver, Colorado, and unfortunately, I can't go over the pond to be in person, with my friend, today. So. He's going to join us in just a second. Uh, You're in for a real treat. I, I hope you just pay as close attention as you possibly can because he is a renowned expert in unconventional marketing. This is somebody for the last 11 years. He has hosted the number one entertaining web TV show on marketing called Help My Business. He is also the author of not six, but seven, that's right, seven best-selling books, including his brand new book, Walt Disney's Way. Uh, He is also uh, the host of Sam Event and has become the TED Talk of the entrepreneurial world. Please welcome to the show a friend of mine who is very near and dear. He's written an article, too, for the Be Fulfilled magazine, Mr. Andrew Locke.
1: Thank you, Tony. What a pleasure to be with you. Well, you that.
0: know, we met on a plane. We did, yeah. We did. We, well, we'd, we
1: met on a plane. we'd seen each other before, but we we sort of connected, didn't we, on the plane? We did,
0: and I'm, I'm excited that if I could, I would. I would be on a plane, be sitting next to you. <laughs> we would have had this interview in person, but the world is what it is right now. Do um, you
1: like Europe?
0: Uh, I love Europe. You mm. know that I was supposed to be back from Europe just a couple of days ago. I would have been oh. three weeks. Yeah, I love Europe. Europe is probably... Yeah. If I could, I would. I would be there as much as I possibly
1: could. Yeah, it is. It's a great, so much variety. Having oh. lived in the States for 16 years, coming back here this year um, really kind of reminded me of um, how varied it is. You know, I just, I just went to Malta last week, uh, which is just um, south of little, one of the smallest countries in the world, actually, a small island off the, off the south coast of Italy and east of Tunisia. And the history there is ridiculous. You know, they—I mean—it traces back to 5,000 BC, and you know they have a lot of remnants from thousands of years BC. It's incredible. Isn't that it's the like, one? It's like walking place, into a film set.
0: Isn't Malta the place that gets fought over? Who who technically owns Malta? Like I think at different times.
1: Well, it it did at one time. It was it was under British rule for about a hundred years. Uh, Went back to Malta in the 70s, I believe. And so pretty much everyone speaks uh, Maltese and English.
0: No, I love it. Great place to visit if you haven't. If I'm not mistaken, there is a Starbucks right near the church in the square. And I went up there the last time (laughs) I was there and got myself some Starbucks. Hey, so Andrew, I ask every guest this one question to help Mm. kick off the show and get us walking towards the top of Success Mountain because we can't stay there. We try very hard to get there. What is your definition of success?
1: Well, that's an interesting question, isn't it? Because you're you're right. There are so many different um, possibilities. Uh, for me, I have I have thought about that question over the years, and it's changed. I used to be very much a workaholic, but you know, like most of us, we reach a point where we start to reevaluate things. And uh, today, for me, success is about freedom, really. Fundamentally, it's about freedom of choice, living the life that I want to live, and uh, for me, that that is very much relating to travel. You know, it's one of my biggest passions and uh, one of my one of my brands as well. So, yeah, freedom of choice. So, it's there was a time when it was more financial, but that's that's changed. Yeah, that's a great question. I'm in, intrigued to know what other people have said.
0: Well, you know, the good thing is your answer is in alignment with them, uh, and, and you know, success comes and goes, right? We, we talk yeah. about it. You can find yourself in a just a a bundle of success. It's one thing after yeah. another, and then all of a sudden, you can fall down. Mm. And you feel like success is not obtainable again. <laughs> and you know, I love a quote from Jim Rohn. He says, "The same wind blows on us all: the wind of opportunity and the wind of mm. disaster." And it, it's nothing more than the set of our sale, right? That's what uniquely makes wow. us as individuals different is the set of the sale because there was a period of time in my life where, you know, maybe on paper I looked successful, mm. but I was falling apart. And mm. it was a conversation that shifted my, my kind of like relational being with money and and health and family and all of that kind of change. And so freedom is right up there. It's probably one of the top three. Um, and I'm just so blessed. Um, we met uh, during a, uh, an event at a mastermind group mm. in Mexico coming back, got a chance to sit next to you and you were with, you got a chance to meet my wife.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And we just had just an incredible conversation. And one of the things that just fascinated me about you is you have this big passion for just helping. That That is evident more and more. Um, you've written seven books. So I know that you have this, this story of like, hey, let me just share kind of my knowledge with the world. And even in your intro and talking about you, you were saying travel and you know, travel is a huge part for me. So I, I just think mm-hmm. we're in for a real treat.
1: My <laughs> mom
0: and her husband, they live six months out of the year in Bricksworth, Northampton. And ah. six months uh, in the year in uh, Las Vegas.
1: Ah, interesting.
0: And so you know that's what makes kind of travel so. So for me, when I when I met you, I'm like, I want to be like Andrew. <laughs> I just want to travel. I like, so let's talk shop for a few minutes. Um, you you've done a lot. You're unique in so many different ways. And when I tell people they're unique, don't think you're unique. <laughs> I'm not looking at it. But what makes you uniquely you is what you've been able to do with the talents you've been given. And the things you've acquired along the way, that's what makes you unique. There is only one Andrew Locke. So uh, let's talk about first your marketing show. Um, I'm fascinated by it because you've only been doing it 11 years and I'm not quite sure how long YouTube's been around, but I want to kind of say it's somewhat maybe right around the same time.
1: That's right. Um, So that was one of the things that sort of um, triggered it, I, I guess, you know, the... There was a time you would remember, I'm sure, where it wasn't really practical to to do video online because you know you'd have these postage stamp size videos and it was very jerky. Uh, but then the technology changed and it was YouTube was one of the the real milestones. And when YouTube came out, I I saw an opportunity that fit. Uh, one of my strengths because my original, original background coming from England was I was a BBC cameraman and then TV producer. And so one of the things I knew how to do was to make high quality content. And um, it was actually um, in 2008 that it started uh, the show. It was originally called Help My Business Sucks. And I changed the name after, I don't know, six or seven years, something like that, only because the the audience uh, became more international. It started off mainly American audience where, you know, the word sucks is very familiar, but it is quite an American word. And um, so I changed the name to help my business, but it, it definitely got a lot of attention uh, fast for being one of the first business video uh, podcasts. Uh, of course, podcast is a word that Apple uses a lot, or you know, some people say web TV show. But yeah, it was it you know it was it was just something you know where the stars aligned, and I saw this opportunity to to use my strength um, as a you know as a producer uh, from from my background.
0: I love it. Uh, you brought up the BBC, uniquely different, like different than like watching a show in America versus yeah. Like- Tell me what, maybe just because you've traveled back and forth enough and watched television both, what's mm. the biggest difference for you watching shows produced in Britain and then, let's say, let's say. Yeah,
1: let's it's a really, really interesting question. I, I actually think about that quite a bit. There, There's a number of differences. One sort of overt difference is that, uh, how would I put this? There's There's much more attention in American shows to the look of presenters so um <laughs> you know in terms of glamour and so on uh in in britain you will often see shows with you know real experts who don't particularly look that good but you know they're they're good at presenting and they know the subject inside out whereas in the states there's a there's much more attention on how the person looks so that's one difference also another big difference is the um the sensationalism factor is much more prominent in many shows in the states you know especially when you look at reality shows or things like that uh but even even in shows like these uh, talent contests and things like that it's they're a bit wilder there's there's more manufactured friction um and that kind of thing and uh, you know there's there's manufacturing goes on in all tv but those are a couple of big differences that I've observed. Yeah, I, that's sort of the best way I can explain it, really. It, they, but they're very big, actual, very big differences.
0: Yeah, I think some of it is a lot with the the filming, like the way that they're filmed too. Just like the angle oh yeah, the
1: the, for sure, there's different stylistic. Um, and then also, the I have a
0: couple of shows, so I've been I've stayed in mm. bombs for a week or two at a time, and we turn on like a, there's a really cool Fixer Upper show that I've watched there. There's another. Uh, they they go around and they buy stuff at you know shops and they try to resell it and see how much money mm-hmm. they can make. Very you can see how uh, America is influenced by what it sees in other countries and then tries to bring in Hollywood polish it more or less yes. to give it yes. the, their kind of version. So I I really appreciate you kind of giving it um, that nice spin because I really think here in America we want the controversy around it. Where like mm-hmm. in Britain they're just like hey. There's a house. We fixed it. Let's see what yeah. we can rent it for. Yeah, right? that's that
1: is very yeah, it's very true. And another good example would be the difference between the British Office and the American version of the Office, the the TV show. the The British version was was um, very raw and uh, it it was more it was more real. Initially, when the American one came out with Steve Carell, I didn't like it because I compared it. You know, directly to the British one, but then I started to look at it on its own merits, and I quite enjoyed it because Steve Carell brought such a a different um, element of characteristics to that that key, the key character of the boss. But it was it was much more slick, much more glamour than the UK version. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's, it's it's an interesting one to compare. You know, PBS does a great job with shows that they don't have quite the polish of uh at the BBC i would say but um you know there's there's a lot of commonality between pvs shows and the british uh, tv
0: no i i agree and i and i think it's great and one of the reasons why i bring it up is you know you being a former cameraman and you have a great mm. eye when i remember i recorded uh, a segment for your show mm. i was just so impressed with how you pieced it to all together. And I'm like, oh, that's that's a full production group. I mean, that, yeah. that's a lot of work. So I, I really appreciate that. Um, but I did read in your intro that you've written a new book. And I love the fact that we got a chance to see some of your kind of work a little bit in our Be Fulfilled magazine we have here at Ship Offers mm-hmm. talking about Walt Disney and mm-hmm. what kind of some of the lessons you learned and getting ready for the show today. You were very excited to say, hey, look, I've got a new book. And so let's talk about... Walt Disney, uh, and and your new book. Um, I'm really, really proud that you're going to showcase and share just a little bit with us here. And so talk a little bit about what took you as a passion project, something that you've been really excited about to finally get that book out.
1: Yeah, thanks, Tony. Uh, th- it all started for me when I was in my uh, early teens. I was in England and uh, went for a routine checkup at uh, a doctor's. And when I was sitting in the doctor's waiting room, I picked up a, a a Reader's Digest magazine, and in there was an article about Walt Disney, and I was absolutely fascinated by it. You know, I I knew who he was, but I didn't really know much about the man. And I I obviously had heard of the theme parks, and I you know watched some of the movies, um, but I was so fascinated by his story that I was called into the doctors before I had chance to to read it. So I took the magazine and. I stayed up that night reading it, devoured uh, the the article, and um, I I found that I had a lot in common with Walt, in as much as um, particularly in his young uh, years growing up, uh, he came from a very uh, modest uh, background in you know in the Midwest, just quite a poor family, and um, I was actually bullied at school you know had my head shoved down the toilet and things like that you know for no other reason than being a good student and um, I really identified with some of the things that Walt had gone through and so that led me from that early age on a on a uh, decades long journey um, of really delving into the man and the company in great great detail you know I've read every book on the subject I've watched every documentary i've visited every theme park around the world well over 100 times probably hundreds and um i realized about uh 12 years ago that there was really nothing out there that um served the needs of entrepreneurs and small business owners you know you may know that disney have their own in-house training program called disney institute I should say in-house, it's a Disney company, but it's uh, to train corporations, you know, big uh, companies, and, you know, they, they bring in hundreds of people for um, events and training and so on. But there was nothing really for the small business owner and entrepreneur and smaller companies. So I developed a program to, in, in conjunction with Disney, they fully supported it and um, were have been great partners to uh, invite um, small groups of entrepreneurs, typically about 15 or 20 at a time. And I take them behind the scenes at Disney World or Disneyland in California. And I tailor the tours to their business. So I, we actually go in the theme parks and behind the theme parks and I show them what Disney does. We look at elements like customer service, marketing, employee management, and The reason why Disney are such a great example to model, a couple of reasons, actually. One is that they are one of the most profitable companies in the world, uh, annual revenue of about $45 billion last year. Uh, But they're also one of the most admired companies in the world. And that combination is even more rare. So they're in the top uh, five of the most admired companies in the world. So there's so much to learn from them. And when you trace all the things that they do today, back in time, it all goes back to Walt. You know, Walt really was a visionary. He was a genius. He was an absolute marketing ninja. And so that's what led to me writing this book. It was a three-year project uh, resulting in the book called Walt Disney's Way. And um, I'm I'm so thrilled that it's, it's been so well received. I've had such great reviews already and um really of all the books that i've written this is definitely the most exciting because it's taken the mo- the longest but it's also the you know very specific topic that i could really dive into deep and um and so it's it's designed to be very practical you know every chapter is all about lessons from walt that uh business owners um can apply in their own business you know i i show them how to adapt the uh, the principles in their own business. So yeah, it's, it's just a, a, just a fascinating topic.
0: Where can people uh, buy your book?
1: It's available on Amazon. Some bookstores are are starting to, uh, uh, to get it now, but uh, easily available on Amazon around the world. So yeah, it's, it's, it's such a fun thing to be able to, you know, at at the time you're writing it, you think, oh, is this ever going to be done? But (laughs) when it's finally done, and you see the response, you know, it's such a thrill to, to get the, uh, the feedback.
0: Well, what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break. We're chatting today with Andrew Locke and brand new book available now on Amazon and other places around the world, Walt Disney's Way. And you can pick that up. And if you've just started listening uh, to going to the doctor's office and seeing a small little article when he was a young boy turned into – amazing lessons behind the scene tours and how as an entrepreneur small groups and stuff you can really learn one of the things that andrew doesn't know and i'm going to tell him when i come back is that i know somebody who was his veterinarian when we return we'll be right back on the be fulfilled podcast show are you ready to break the mold you know so many people seem stuck in society but you're not one of them if you were you wouldn't be listening to this and i know for a fact that right here right now inside you there's greatness And a
1: great way to help bring that out is the 12-week journey to fulfillment. So head over to BeFulfilledJournal.com and use the coupon code PODCAST and you get a special rate on us. It's our way to say thanks for listening. As well, there's access to a
0: private community of entrepreneurs ready to support you and your business. That's BeFulfilledJournal.com. All right, we are back on the Be Fulfilled podcast show. Tony Grubmeyer along with Andrew Locke coming back down from the top of Success Mountain. And, and the pinnacle of success is something that I don't know if we'll ever make if mm-hmm. we'll ever achieve. However, from the way we kicked off the show to finding freedom and really that's pivoted and changed throughout uh, Andrew's life of kind of, you know, launching multiple businesses, uh, you know, launching the SAM event in Las Vegas, uh, marketing, the web TV shows, authoring you know seven books, just purpose-driven and everything that he does. You can hear it. He really wants to help you, that listener, that entrepreneur, that person today to be the best version of yourself possible. And, and right when we went to the break, I said, I know somebody who's a really, really dear friend of our family's uh, who was Walt Disney's Vet out in Burbank, California.
1: Mm -hmm. And
0: my mom was just having dinner with Diane and David the other day. His name is David. And my mom happened to show David a video of our dog putting its face out the window. And he says, Barbara, Tell your kid right now he can't do that. That is not good. That's one of the the causes of so many dogs losing uh, and animals losing their tear ducts uh-huh. is the wind blowing at such a high uh, rate wow. into their face. Wow. And so he says, don't. So I wanted to pass on some, you know, wisdom to all the yeah. dog owners yeah, out there. Yeah, I, I know it know looks that. cute, but he <laughs> says, if you're going to do it, put goggles on your dog's eyes and then let them do it all day long. Wow. So, uh, and he's, He's been instrumental in helping me when I was struggling several years back. Uh, he has many, many great stories, and I'd love to connect you to, just so you can have a good, uh, just some good comedy, maybe. Oh, I'd be fasc- stuff.
1: fascinating, yeah. So
0: I can, I can make that happen for you. Mm-hmm. But he told me a couple of years back when I was struggling with some anxiety, and I was going through, I had walked into an Ikea. I don't know if you've ever been into Ikea before. Once or twice, yes. I literally had a panic attack. I got so like freaked out. Like, which direction do I go? How do I get yeah. out of here? Yeah,
1: it's a maze, isn't it? And
0: you know what? When you walk into a Disney park, I don't have that feeling. Mm. Everything is purposely put walking mm. down Main Street, everything, yeah. the rides, Tomorrowland, you know, Frontierland, all of these things are, are are put where they need to be. Yeah. And so we were on the phone talking and I said, you know. How come I have this anxiety when I walk into the stories is because it's a trap, right? And and your body is trying to find its survival. When I go to Disneyland, I don't have that experience. I have the freedom, which you talked about in the beginning, of being a kid, right? And just when I was in Tokyo last year and we went to to Disneyland, it was amazing. I felt like I was walking a little different Main Street, but you felt very much free, So I just, uh, we talked about it and he said, you know, Tony, one of the reasons we panic is we think we need to make a decision. And he told me, hey, just take a deep breath and stay, stay right where you're at. You don't have to move. No fight, no flight, just stay. Mm -hmm. And I tell you, I've been able to walk into Ikea's all around and I've had no issues. And every time I've ever walked into a Disney park, I literally, other than it cost me a lot of money, um, (laughs) it's amazing.
1: So I really, uh, just for a couple more minutes, if you don't mind me chat. Yeah, um, I was going to ask you actually. And in, in um, Japan, did you go to Disney Sea as well?
0: I wasn't able to uh, get all that booked in the same day. Uh but I yeah,
1: that they they spent more money. Well, actually, prior to Shanghai, which superseded it, but up until then, they spent more money on that park by far than any other park in the world, and it shows. It's it's um, they Disney actually didn't want to do it. Uh, because it it um, it clashed with uh when they were building Epcot, and they just didn 't have the time, the resources or inclination and um, it wasn 't so many years after Walt had died, but the consortium of companies that wanted to do it they really wanted to do it, and so Disney said, "Well, the only way that we would do it is if <clears throat> basically you pay for everything." And we get a stake in the, in the, uh, company and we make all the decisions and, and, um, immediately said, yeah, okay, it's a deal. And they just weren't expecting them to, to say yes. And so that's kind of how it happened originally, but it, it really, really shows in the level of quality and the, you know, the, the detailing and just everything about those parks. And of course they're spotlessly clean too. Oh.
0: Yeah, I don't, I don't, like when I was going to Japan, I didn't know what I was walking into. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? Walking down the street and everything. Everybody uh-huh. carries their trash. So there's no trash cans. I yeah, mean, You yeah. find a trash can. It was like yeah. in a restaurant or something. W- wanted to chat just briefly. Uh, I remember I was watching on uh, Disney about behind the scenes kind of opening the very first park. Yeah. Um, and Walt had an issue the day of opening. Yeah. The water,
1: the That's water right.
0: wasn't working. Um, do you know that story?
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Would you share just a little bit in the genius behind making a decision and how it all worked out?
1: Yeah, so they, they basically, you know, it was, it was in the height of summer and um, the tarmac was uh, um, literal. some of it was literally laid the night before so it hadn't, hadn't had time to set. And um, the plumbers were on strike as well. And so, um, Walt had a decision to make, you know, what, what was he going to, um, use his limited resources on, uh, was it to fix the, the water fountains or, do you know, I forget what the other one was, but
0: he had to make a decision. Right? Yes. And he made a decision to just water. He need people needed water.
1: Yeah. Because it was so hot. Um, he made the right choice, you know, and, and that's a, that's something that a lot of people don't know about what was, he was entirely passion driven. There was his, the whole reason for the park was because he had been going to these dirty fairgrounds in Los Angeles and taking his daughters there. And he, he just, he was sitting on a bench thinking, you know, wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be great if there was a place where it was clean and tidy and, you know, just beautiful surroundings and uh, that's, that's what initiated it. It wasn't money. And, um, you know, even in his later years, he said the same thing. He said, I've never been motivated by money. He said, of course, it, it does take a lot of money to, to build these things. So it can't be ignored, but that was never the reason behind it. And um, again, that really shows in Disneyland. One of the things that's nice today is that they've tried to preserve Disneyland as much as possible because that was the original park that Walt directly um you know had a, had a part in centrally and uh, even after it was built he often he spent a lot of time in his apartment above the fire station there at the end of Main Street and one of the things he loved to do was serve people in the ice cream parlor at the end of Main Street which was his favorite shop because he loved ice cream and those that worked with him say that his scoops were always by far the most generous. And he always used to engage with people, you know, how's your day going? You know, have you been on any rides yet? What's your favorite part? Is there anything you think we could do better? And that, you know, that was his way. It was just absolute passion to continue to make uh, the place, uh, you know, To continue to improve it, so what we find today is that in Florida, in Walt Disney World, they use that much more. The turnover of attractions is far greater, and they're, you know, they're not shy to uh, make new innovations there. But they're much more cautious about changing things at Disneyland for that reason, because of the sort of heritage and the fact that you know it was Walt was so much hands on in that park, you know, you, you talked about the layout earlier. That was all Walt. He came up, he came up with the idea of having this hub in the middle, the hub and spoke so that people could always orient themselves, you know, as to where they were, they could always go back to that hub. You know, if they got lost, uh, that was Walt, you know, Walt, Walt was the one behind that. Yeah, you know, I was chatting
0: uh, last year, the year before, with Brad uh, Martineau, mm. and he, he's a real big lover of Legos, That's and right. how you know everything's put together in a certain way, and you know when you go to Disneyland and they know you're coming, you know everything's kind of yeah. rolled out to you. It's really what you stand for in a lot of ways, and it shows up is is really taking a good care of who you're who you're bringing into. Uh, maybe the business, the organization, who you're working with. I know when I was reading Love Does by Bob Goff, he he talks about Tom Sawyer Island taking a shuttle over there, sitting basically overlooking Main Street, seeing that he made that his theater, his office, mm-hmm. his place mm-hmm. of of life. And you know, I've been I just finished the master class with uh, Bible Iger and I just oh, loved yeah. how he, yeah. you know, really figured it out like to carry on Walt Tradition and, yeah. and so many CEOs pre-COVID, saw something happening and so That's many right. CEOs stepped down. So That's many right. people didn't want the added extra pressure. And uh, maybe maybe I'm just reading into it, but I saw a lot of these big major corporation CEOs just stepped down. So.
1: Oh, 100% they did, yeah. And you know, there, there's a great story. One of my favorite stories of Walt, which I think says so much about how he did business, was one day shortly after Disneyland opened, uh one of the Walt was walking through the park as he liked to do and uh one of the gardeners rushed over to him and he was near the um uh in the near the hub uh looking towards the castle and one of the gardeners said, Walt, well, um, we have a problem. He said, Can I show you? And he said, uh he he showed him where people uh had been walking across the garden to take pictures of of the castle. And uh, you could see the footprints across the grass and even some of them had trampled the flowers and so on and he was all upset about it and you know this is just terrible they're not you know they're not uh, treating it right which was true but but in an instant you know well the what the gardener said was we need to put a fence up to stop people doing this and and this is such, such an insightful comment from walt because without hesitation he said oh no he said the people are absolutely right that is a great place to take photos of the castle. What we need is a path. So he said, let's put a pathway in there. And and really that's sort of the, you know, the fundamental difference of, of attitude, the difference between, you know, are we doing things in our business f- mainly for ourselves, for our own convenience or the things that we think that should be done? Or is our focus on the people that we're supposed to be serving? our customers, or as Walt liked to call them, always called them guests because he didn't, he didn't um, like the word customers because he said, well, you know, how do you treat a guest versus a customer? If you have a guest, you roll out the red carpet for them. You warmly welcome them. You know, your whole attitude changes when you think of someone as a guest. And again, he was right. You know, so if, if just a simple thing like that, even today, That's how they train cast members, to treat everybody as guests, not customers. Uh, But yeah, I love that story because it just gives you an insight into Walt's way of thinking. You know, it was always, always about the guest and what would give them the best experience.
0: No, absolutely. And I mean, you're following along today listening and you're like, hey, Andrew knows a lot. He's, He's written a book. You can pick up and learn more, and you can maybe apply it to your business and find some ways to help yourself. So Walt Disney's Way, and you can find that on Amazon. Andrew, you know, the the thing that I've learned about you in the period of time that I've spent, um, you're insightful, you've got a, a great way of telling stories, and you just care. I wish I could interview all of my guests and have them be like that. I think a lot of people are unfortunately focused on the money aspect, hidden in a way where they don't sound like they are, but I know that's really their motivation. Mm-hmm. And, and Jim Rohn also talked about it. I love it. You know, you kind of, you, you need money and you need deodorant. Those are my two <laughs> things that I always take away, right? You need money so you can buy things. You need deodorant so you don't stink. Um, because, you know, when you, when you work up a sweat, you, you stink really, really bad. <laughs> so I, uh, I know those are the kind of things that I learned. And you need oxygen. If you have those three things, you're pretty good. The rest can work yeah. itself out. Yeah. What are some things that you've learned as maybe pivotal things to help you be successful in life that you could break down into kind of like those type of three?
1: Yeah. um, Well, one for sure is stubborn persistence. You know, every entrepreneur goes through a sort of a jagged line towards success, don't they? You know, if people sort of looking in from the outside, and I know this is true with your business too, they always sort of look at where you are now, and they think, you know, well, that's great. And you know, they, what they don't see is this, you know, the 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 hard times and the challenges and the the times when you felt like giving up and so on. So, one of the things that you know I try and help young entrepreneurs with today is this concept of of stubborn persistence, because starting anything and building something it's it's sort of like trying to push an indiana jones style boulder up a hill and it's extremely hard and as you get as you're getting up that hill you know you become more tired and more frustrated and you think is this ever going to you know am i ever going to reach it am i ever going to mm. make it to the top but then this with stubborn persistence something magical happens you do reach the top and then there's you have this beautiful scenario where the boulder just rolls down the hill the other side and you just you, you know that's when you start to really you know reap the rewards and money comes in and you you know you're not even sure how it's happening and um the the sad part is most people don't get there you know the the stats speak of that the fact that uh, most businesses fail within the first year and you know I think we're gonna see a massive wave of bankruptcies too um probably you know starting later this year and and beyond and it's uh you know a lot of those reasons are are um you know people couldn't do anything um themselves it was you know it's unforeseen circumstances but um as far as it depends on us, you know that stubborn persistence is is a big one so that's that's one factor that's definitely helped me is is not giving up um another one is having integrity because uh over years over the years i've seen a lot of people come and go in the different businesses that i've been involved with and um when you have integrity and you stick to your word when you say you're going to do something you do it you know i i like handshake deals with a uh, a simple agreement i don't like getting lawyers involved wherever possible because you know generally um the lawyers are the only ones that understand the documents and when push comes to shove they're the only ones that seem to profit anyway (laughs) so uh, you know having in having integrity and and sticking to your word reaps dividends because when people know that they can trust you and you have a good reputation um you know that that word spreads and in difficult times people help you out and um you know, it's it's uh it helps to give you longevity in uh whatever you're doing. So that's certainly another one. Well,
0: hey, what we're gonna do is I'm gonna run you into the fulfillment round. I could spend all day talking, but I, I a couple <laughs> things I want to recap. Number one, you need to have stubborn persistence. You, you need you know, in this day and age, as entrepreneurs, you know, bright, shiny disorders, things come and things mm-hmm. go, and we chase things. Um, but be stubborn and and chase things that, you know, make a difference too. And, and, and a lot of people will say, you know, never give up. I'm like, sometimes you got to give up. I remember when I was drinking all the time, never give up was actually a smart thing. <laughs> yes. I needed to give up because that helped. And um, I knew that deep down inside, there was something else for me. Sometimes as an entrepreneur, and when you're going up success mountain, you're You get off on the wrong path and instead of going up you're actually going sideways which leads you back down to the bottom so it's okay to try and and we call that test my buddy kevin cohen always gave me that test 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 you're never done testing as an entrepreneur Mm -hmm. second thing is integrity and that i i love it I'm, i'm right in alignment with it you have great integrity you have your word that's all you have on this planet so make sure you know get a deal done you know, handshake, small little contract. Everybody feels good and get to work, deliver what you say or don't say it at all. So I love that. Remember, you pick up Andrew's book today, Walt Disney's Way on Amazon. We're going to bring you now into the fulfillment round. We'll have some fun. Uh, (laughs) I'm not asking you to lie because you said integrity. However, (laughs) I am asking you to play along no matter what gets asked. Are you ready? Just say, I am ready. I am ready. And now it's time for the Fulfillment Round. No phoning friend. No using the Google machine. No digging into storage for the Encyclopedia Britannicas. And I promise Tony won't make you cry. And if you don't know the answer, just make it up. The Fulfillment Round brought to you by ShipOffers.com for all your product and fulfillment needs. Now, Tony, you ready to ask some questions? All right, uh we're going to make this about Disney and Disneyland. Okay. Favorite ride at Disneyland in Anaheim you've been on.
1: Favorite land is uh, favorite ride is the Indiana Jones um I forget the the full title but Indiana Jones ride. I yeah. love that ride too. I mm. you know when I was a kid I thought man if I rode this
0: like 9 times I'm going to go on like nine different adventures and yeah. s- kind of a little bit around that. Best thing you have eaten at Disneyland.
1: Oh, that's easy. Um it's uh the the skewers i forget the name of the the exact name of it but it's opposite the swiss family tree house it's a yeah. little gem do you know the place
0: i do i do but i don't know those my my favorite thing it's in the little red cart just outside of main street the corn dogs when i was ah oh,
1: yeah i yeah.
0: couldn't wait to go to yeah. disneyland and get a corn dog um uh, california adventure you've been there yeah. oh yeah what do you think of that
1: uh, it's greatly improved since Carsland. Land. And, you know, it was, it got a lot of um, criticism early on, uh, and it, it was, you know, basically Disney acknowledged. Now it was in the days of Michael Eisner; he just didn't want to spend the money on the on the quality of the park, and it showed. It was, uh, it was a train wreck when it opened, but now it's it's great.
0: My favorite ride back in the day was
1: Soaring. Over Soaring there. is incredible.
0: And yeah. you know what's crazy is how different our experiences could be with movie theaters today if we would take that aspect and make it feel like yes yeah. Yeah, so coming through. Las Vegas casinos have figured out. They pump pheromones and other things. That's that right. Make yep. your nose go, oh, popcorn, you know? Um, you could sell so much more. yeah. Yeah. Um, Favorite park you've been to in the world? You said well over 150 times or so. What what favorite park?
1: Uh, Definitely Shanghai Disneyland. It's the most technologically advanced park by far. You know, obviously it was the most recent. So they've got some really unique rides. One of them is Tron, which is coming to the Magic Kingdom probably next year. It's already under construction uh, you actually ride on a, a motorbike that looks just like the one from the movie. And it, it's, it's sort of in the, it's in, partly in the darks. So the, um, the way it's lit up is just magical. It's incredible. So that and Pirates uh, of the Par- Caribbean, the, the, uh, that's a completely different experience that they did in Shanghai. And it is absolutely jaw dropping. It's, it's mind boggling ride. Um you, you feel because what they've basically done is they've they've combined um, real sets with incredibly high definition screens, and you can't tell the difference where one begins and one ends. So it all feels real, and it's it's just jaw dropping. It's incredible, wow. unique. One character
0: that you relate to most,
1: a Disney character. Yes, um, it's funny. You know, you should say that because I was. I've all I've I'm absolutely in love with Disney and the company, but I've never really taken so much to the movies, but um, uh, let me think who would be a Disney character. Probably not my, my specialist subject, the characters, but um, um, I guess Mickey mouse, because, you know, that was the, that was Walt's um, original creation. And uh, there's that great statue of both of them in, in the park called partners and Walt has his hand out as if to say to Mickey look at everything we've accomplished that's magical
0: yeah no I I love it and then uh you know Disney plays a a big role in 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 helping me to dream
1: I think Mm. that was one thing I remember
0: as a kid um you know I was very fortunate as a child to be able to go and then when we lived in Southern California we had annual passes Mm -hmm. and yeah I remember when we first bought our pass, we had all these blackout dates. And I remember one one year our kids asked, can we just get the next pass up? And it was a lot more money yeah. to get the any day pass. Yeah. And I got to tell you, we went all the time and my kids loved it. And up until about maybe 15 years ago, um, I could go on rides. And then about 14, maybe 13 years ago, I stopped. I, I got really bad headaches. And when we were yeah. in Tokyo, I said, you know what? I'll get a headache and deal with it. I'm probably not going to come back at any time soon. And Mm -hmm. I remember my kids kept saying, dad, there's the exit, dad, there's the exit, dad, there's the exit. It was on (laughs) space mountain. And I had such a blast. And I I think that's a lot about what I'm going to take away from today's episode is you're going to be presented with a lot of options in life and you, you only get so many choices, right? And freedom is a big word we've used today a couple of times to describe, um, And it was very fortunate that you and I got a chance to sit together on a plane and just chat for several hours and Mm -hmm. just laugh. And I really appreciate what you do to help entrepreneurs. I love the fact that you put on a highly successful event called the SAM event. Uh, You've written seven books, Walt Disney's Way. You can get that on Amazon. You have the number one entertaining web TV show on marketing called Help My Business. And I just want to tell you from the bottom of my heart, I appreciate you. I'm so grateful that we got connected again today just to learn a little bit, a small glimpse behind the camera of a former BBC cameraman of how you see the world, how you see Walt, how you see things that are happening and how... You get to pivot, adjust, and focus on the areas that are really specific. And and I love your definition of success today was freedom. And that's what I feel like when I talk to you. I'm just free. It's just I don't have any hidden agenda. I don't need anything. I've got everything I've got. Um, but I just want to say thank you, Andrew.
1: Thank you, Tony. That's really kind. You know, I definitely feel the same way. Um, we we definitely connected in a big way on that uh, plane ride. And, you know, I love how you do business. And uh, you know thank you for doing this show too you know the the ones that i've listened to you know there's always great nuggets uh, that you you know we can adapt in our own business and um i appreciate the invitation so thank you very much
0: ladies and gentlemen that is andrew Locke. my name is tony grebmeyer and until next time no matter where you go no matter what you do choose to make today the absolute best day of your life oh and all the show notes are available at tony thanks for listening to today's show